Hey, base. Do you identify as a conjurer or hoodoo? Maybe a spiritualist, healer, or mystic? Maybe even a bad bitch witch? If so, we, myself and my research partner, are looking for black practitioners within Afro-spiritual systems for a short interview about your experiences within your spiritual practice. If you're interested, please fill out the Google form, which will be in the show notes. And if you are selected, you will receive a $25 gift card for your participation. So if you identify as any of these things and you are a black spiritualist, please fill out the Google form if you're interested in being interviewed. And if chosen, you will get 25 dollars. Listen, we all need our coins. Okay, so can't wait to tell y'all more about it as we develop our research. Thanks so much. Hello, hello, bays. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of A Little Juju Podcast, the womanist witchy insight pod diving deep into black pop culture, the black healing journey, and the ancestral spiritual systems that can help get us free. This is the hashtag black ass spirituality show, and I am your host, Juju Bay, a psychic, a hoodoo, a Narisha devotee, and most importantly, a bad bitch witch. So I am very, very, very excited for today's episode because it is the live show. My team and I decided to offer the live show as a full episode. So you'll get to experience it as if you were there on the 7th. We had a great time at the Parkway Theater with my guest, Trinice Iafabumi McNally, who was a friend, but also an Ia Olorisha, a priest of the Orisha. So get into this episode. We had such a good time. Thank you to everyone who came. And we'll also have a live version that you can watch on YouTube if that's your your jam. So check that out. You'll see it when it is fully uploaded and it should be there if you want to take a gander. But yes, please enjoy the quality. We got the sound quality as best as we could. We know for next time, you know, keep it cute. But it's it's fun. You can hear everything perfectly fine. And I hope that you all enjoy the first A Little Juju podcast live show. Hey, y'all. Yeah. 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 Introduction. Thank you to the Parkway for allowing me to do this here. It was free 99. So you know, free. Okay. So please um, come back to the Parkway, but also, you know, buy concessions. There's beer, wine, there's popcorn. Um, so please, you know, give to the places that give to us. 
Ashay? Okay, so before we get started, I just am curious of where folks are coming from. So, who came from Baltimore? Who's in Baltimore? Hey. Hey. Um, anyone come outside of Baltimore? Maybe DC? Okay, DC, where else? Louisiana? Oh, okay, what part of Louisiana? Louisiana. New Orleans, which is so interesting. Okay, I'm gonna give all of y'all a gift. Hold on now. I'm gonna give y'all a gift. Okay. Oh my goodness, I can't believe my first live show. Um, as you may know, my birthday is a couple days away. I'll be 30 30 very soon. So I definitely want to celebrate uh, with my listeners and people who have been super supportive um, of me. Um, and I'm so thankful to have my friend here, Janice, my sister. Um, thank you so much for agreeing to do this and being all that you are. Uh, we have seen each other through a lot of iterations of ourselves, so I'm very grateful that you're here. Um, so to my live audience here at the Parkway Theater and to everyone streaming at home, hey babes, welcome, welcome, welcome to A Little Juju Podcast, the live show edition. AOJ Pod is the womanist witchy insight podcast diving deep into the black healing journey, pop culture, and the ancestral spiritual systems that help get us free. This is the hashtag black ass spirituality show, and I am your host, Juju Bay. I am a podcaster, a hoodoo, an Arisha, a Reiki practitioner, but most importantly, a bad bitch. <laughs> And uh, to my left, I have my wonderful friend, Trinice Iafubimi, period, McNally. I'm going to read a portion of Trinice's um, bio, but she will give us more. She is very decorated. But Trinice is currently organizing the second annual um, Defend Black Women March in D.C. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but she is a Black queer feminist migrant, student affairs professional, and the founding director of the University of District of Columbia Center for Diversity, Inclusion, and Multicultural Affairs. Um, so, Trinice, thank you for being here. Also, just give us some more. Can y'all hear me? Yeah. Amazing. Peace, folks. Alakia, how folks doing? First of all, I just have to say to Juju that this is such a beautiful moment in time, right before your 30th birthday. And I remember, exactly, I want, I want you to gas her. <laughs> decided to be in conversation with me um, because so many of us, and when I say so many of us, I'm speaking for myself, have used your podcast as a way to get through and a way to navigate and a way to learn and a way to just be and have fun and cry and do all the things. So Iba Tiori for bringing us here. I'm so grateful to be a friend and your sister. We've seen each other through so many things. Mm -hmm. So this is a complete honor for me. Thank you. And she's a cancer and a Pisces, so all we do is cry. <laughs> so, if we cry, just be like, they're okay. <laughs> they're just crying, they're just happy. Um, but uh, like Juju introduced me a little earlier, my name is Trinice McNally, um, but also known as Ifa Bumi, Ade Tutu Oshun Toyen, Efun Tola Omoni Jogun Adiola. It's a lot of names. And that's basically um, saying that this is the commitment that I've made to Ifa and to the Orisha. 
Um, so I'm a Yanifa. I'm also an Iyalo day with my husband, who's shortly on his way. He'll be here somewhere. Um, we're run a temple in Hyattsville, Maryland. Um, my Ile is called Ijo Ifa Abunda Masa. And we are so excited to be doing the work of Ifa. I'm an Oshun priest, an Obatala priest, and also an Egbe priest. Um, but I came into this work of Ifa through Hudu. And Juju was actually one of the first people to be in conversation with me about what that even looks like. Right? What does it mean when you hear spirit? And everybody's like, y'all are weird. Y'all are really weird. And we're like, no, you're weird. There's something going on here. So just really grateful to Sam. I'm going to continue to say to Juju often, 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 gratitude, 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 because we're seeing this resurgence of spirituality. And I know it's also because of this podcast. That is what I know for sure. Right. So it's really exciting to be here. I do a lot of work around education and also organizing and spirituality and just excited to be here to support Juju for tonight. Thank you. Okay, so we're going to open up the space as we do in ceremony um, in a lot of different places with libation. And if you listen to the podcast, you know what libation is, but for those who may not know, it's basically um, a way of honoring the people that came before us, the energies, the entities, the spirits that came before us, um, naming ancestors and maybe other deities um, to kind of invite them in the room. So we're going to do that today, and um, Trinice is going to move forward and do libation from her specific tradition, the Orisha tradition. So I just want to offer a way for us to be together, right? That's what this podcast is about. That's who Juju is. So I'm going to say Iba to a particular deity, and you are going to say Iba, right? So I'll say Iba to Olodumare. You say Iba, right? And that's how we'll go. Sound good, y'all? And towards the end, we also want to create a space, given the work that Shan talked about that they do here in Baltimore, and also the work that Juju does on her podcast to honor any ancestors that you may have lost whether that's here in Baltimore or wherever. Thank you, Chinese. So we're here today um, to celebrate. We're going to talk about celebration uh, rituals, how we celebrate and honor life, um, not just in Baltimore, but just everywhere throughout the diaspora. Um, one of the ways that we saw celebration today was through the drumming. That is such an important way that uh, Black folks, continental folks all over honor um, ourselves, our bodies, where we are, our ancestors. Um, drumming has even been a way that we've communicated throughout time. We know that in certain places in South Carolina, drums were even outlawed because they were so powerful, they were so strong, and they was like, oh, y'all talking through drums? Y'all can't be drumming no more, so drumming is really, really important. It's a way that we also get our blessings when we dance to the sounds of the drums. I love that, Bebe. Um, anything else you want to say about the drumming, particularly? I think it's so beautiful how we're seeing this resurgence again. It just feels like it's a renaissance of mm -hmm. all things black. Yeah. And we know that the drum is a tool, a communicator. Yeah. And to be able to see the the little people, whenever I'm at like Bembez or Tambor, to see like the young kids growing up, mm -hmm. like drumming and embodying that and thinking about, I came across this video about trap music mm -hmm. and its history and roots, of course, in rap music, which comes from Africa. Right. Like, what does that mean? for us to be in this moment of, right. there's something about black people in trap, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's a great connection, mm -hmm. right, to our people. So it's, it's been really beautiful to see 
the power of that ayan, mm-hmm. which in Yoruba is Yoruba word for drum, to con- continue to still like push through and persevere. Yeah, I mean, beats are so important. I know if you're having a party or something, you gotta have the good music. Like the music is, is so important. It sets the tone for the space. And so that's why we kind of wanted to have the drums today in order to set that, that specific tone for the space. And um, since, you know, I'm turning 30, I'm gonna keep saying it because RIP to my 20s. Um, uh, someone asked me on Twitter the other day, they were like, um, I feel like you know this. How come when I cut the cake, I can't cut my name? Like, how come they don't cut my name when cutting the birthday cake? Or how come we don't cut the face? Has anyone ever heard that? Like when you're cutting a birthday cake, like, oh, don't cut a face, don't cut the name. Don't cut the name, she gotta cut the name. Well, take it home, they can cut the name. And I was like, well, I don't exactly know why, but I know why, it makes sense. It sounds like some sort of um, ritual, something that came from somewhere. We don't wanna sever the face of the person who we're honoring or celebrating. We don't wanna cut their name. That's that's for them to do later. Or maybe when the cake is almost done, okay, then we can, then we can cut the cake. But we're honoring the, that life, we're honoring that person. So there's so many ways that we do these like ritualized actions um, as black folks and really as folks, as people, and we don't always even realize like what we're doing or why we do it. And I think that's just a big part of why I'm so interested in this work because it's like, oh, I've grown up with so many rituals that I didn't know were rituals that weren't called rituals. But when I think back on them, I'm like, oh, I was doing some hoodoo stuff in a Christian family. I was doing, I was doing this, some, this is some ritualistic, these are some things from the past. And so I'm really like enjoying this moment of being able to like think back on those times. And I think that's kind of what my, the RIP to my twenties is teaching me too. That it's always been here in me and within my family. Um, so uh, we did our libations, we talked about that. Do you have any rituals that you kind of grew up with or birthday celebration of life rituals that kind of come to mind or even in the tradition that you practice now? I think the first thing, thinking about birth, it's like birth and death is mm-hmm. what I'm thinking of. Like, what is that minus sign in between? Yeah. Usually, I'm Jamaican. I was born in London. And what's important to my family has always been the importance of liquor. Mm-hmm. Like, liquor is seen essential in every party. Yes. Right? Like, and I think that connection to children drinking alcohol mm-hmm. is a very different relationship than we have here in the United yes, States. Yes. Right? So, like, by the time we all went to school and went away, I haven't drinking liquor since I was like five years old. Right? Like I had been drinking rum, I had been drinking beer, I had been drinking and not in a way that was, I think, not appropriate. Yeah. In a way that I had understood the benefits. Right. And also what does this take like taste like? What does this do to my body? Yeah. So at our birthdays, we would always have like rum drinks and rum punches. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Lots of cakes and mainly rum cake. Yep. Mm-hmm. So the process of the celebration for us starts at least six months in advance. Oh, right, because okay. you're, you're soaking your rum, mm-hmm. you're soaking your currants, you're getting this hibiscus leaf prepared. Mm-hmm. Most times people are soaking that in rum too, because Jamaicans want to use rum for everything. <laughs> so I, that's what comes to mind in terms of like celebration of life and birthdays. Mm-hmm. In terms of death, what comes to mind immediately is night nights. Mm-hmm. And in uh, Caribbean culture, in particular in Jamaica, we do a nine night ceremony to usher the dead into the afterlife. And I grew up doing this in nine nights. Nine nights. Okay. So the night you die starts nine nights. Okay. And you must do this procession for nine nights up until the final night, which is the night before we can bury you. And we do small things that you probably do at home, 
right? And probably if you listen to this podcast, they're probably going to remind you of hoodoo. So we leave food out for nine nights. The thing is with us and food for nine nights is that we cannot eat it until midnight because we believe that's when Duppy doesn't come out. So Duppy is roaming the place. When someone dies, there's a spirit. spirit. So that's what we call Duppy. I know it's used pejoratively, but it's not necessarily a negative thing all the time. So when someone dies, their spirit is still lingering around. For those nine nights, we party. So people are bringing in food. People are bringing in music to Juju's point around the drums. People are banging drums. People are singing. People are eating. People are drinking alcohol. And then we turn up the mattress at some point between those nine nights because the spirit is going to come to the thing it's familiar with. So you want to turn that spirit away. So you put the mattress up, and that's giving spirit a message to say, okay, you don't live here no more. Right, so you need to go back or you need to go to where you're going. So I grew up doing that. Like every time someone would pass away and then all my friends I grew up from Miami would be like, Y'all have a lot of parties. I thought somebody died. <laughs> and I would be like, they did. Right? Like that's just how we usher yeah. the dead mm-hmm. into the afterlife in that tradition. Mm-hmm. I think um, and I talk about death a lot because I see death and life as sort of the same uh, energy, like cyclically, it's, it's just moving in the same sort of circle, um, life and death. And so um, I think often about death rituals and how we honor life through honoring the dead and, and knowing that, like you're saying, and even from an indigenous perspective, the concept of death is not something that is, of course, it's sad and people grieve, but it's not, um, it doesn't have to be something negative. It doesn't have to be something that we run away from. It's actually something to celebrate. And traditionally, we did celebrate. And in a lot of ways today, we still celebrate. We still may eat in, for the dead. We still may play certain songs for the dead. Um, we still may want to perfect a recipe of someone who passed because we honored their life. I want to cook the cobbler like they made it. Um, so I want to uh, show us a, a slideshow and I'm uh, happy to do this because the work is actually Shan's work, uh, who was up here prior, some photos that she's taken around the city of Baltimore and how in Baltimore we honor the dead. And even if you're not from Baltimore, these images may um, feel very familiar. And so for the last um, video that I have is, uh, this was filmed in Baltimore. Can we pause it? This was filmed in Baltimore. This is a, a video of a ring shout. And people may be familiar with a ring shout. But I'll read the what they say on here, what a ring shout is. I'm sure you all have maybe heard of it. Um, so a ring shout, according to Wikipedia, a shout or ring shout is an ecstatic, transcendent religious ritual first practiced by African enslaved people in the West Indies and in the U.S., in which worshipers move in a circle while shuffling and stomping their feet and clapping their hands. So this is sort of the ring shout is, but the, some scholars say that this is the beginning of Negro spirituals. This was the beginning of then gospel music. This is also the beginnings of then blues and jazz. So the ring shout is something that was kind of carried over from the continent into the U.S. and into the Caribbean as a way to call on their God in a way that they knew. They may not have had drums. They may not have had um, any materials to use, but they had their hands and they had their voice and they moved in a counterclockwise circle. And we may have seen people move in circles before when they're praising spirits. If you grew up maybe in a Pentecostal church, people who catch the Holy Ghost, they 
run around in a circle. Um, they embrace fear in this way. So this is the rich had a sort of a precedence to some of the ways that we understand black worship, black Pentecostal worship today. And so this is a, a image from Common had a music video that was shot here in Sandtown in West Baltimore and incorporated a ring shout in his music video. And so, and Shan also worked on this project as well. So this is just so you all can see a ring shout in practice. If we can please. See a lot of ring shouts that people will wear white. Our ancestors didn't always necessarily wear white, but white has always uh, been an important color. And I always have to say this when I talk about the color white and the importance of white, and I'll point it to Janice in a second. But I know that now when we think about white, sometimes we're like, well, how come white gotta be the color? I'm black. Black is a good color too. It is a, black is a wonderful color. Um, but we don't have to put those context onto the color white. White really just represents um, purity. It represents a connection to spirit. It, it is reflective. And so we want to reflect good energy and have the good spirits reflect um, back onto us. So that is why we wear white. But I know Janice, because in the Orisha tradition, white is very, very important to aesthetics and love. Yeah, and I feel like you said a lot of it with the purity, right? As um, an Obatala priest, right? Like mostly you will see Obatala priests always wearing white. You will see people with the Lukumi tradition, Sheshe, and really along and across the diaspora, you will always see what white, right? And it's also a tool of defense. Okay, let's wait for this. Uh, wanted us to take a pause. Yes. Okay. So also used as a tool of defense, right? Mm -hmm. Really is purity and as a way of bringing clarity and peace of mind. There's a noticing that happens in your body, right? And in your mind, it can quiet, right? The anxiety can quiet the stress and all the negative things around you, but it's usually used also in initiations as well, right? So in our initiations, people who are preparing would also be in all white, um, as well as initiates. So it's not really a hierarchy, Right, or a power tool in terms of fashion or symbolism. It's really how you want to come to the space as Juju was offering. You want to come clear, right? You want to come pure, you want to come open, but you also want to come strong. And I also think just as a little tip, you know, wearing whites when you are feeling stressed out or anxious is something that can help you. Covering your head in whites yes. when you are feeling anxious or you've had a hard day or you're experiencing sadness or depression, that is something that is a spiritual way to address. That is one tool and one spiritual way to address that. So if you are feeling a little down and stuff, maybe 
laying off the dark colors mm -hmm. until you're able to lift your spirits again and put yourself in light colors or whites. I would also sleep in white. And sleeping in white. You can sleep in white. You can wear white throughout, like maybe in your house clothes, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't want to go out in your whites, but just to have that armor at all times, keeping things light even in your home, having that white comforter set, having those white sheets, like white, you need that to keep you lifted, to keep you light. Yeah. yeah. So when we're talking about these colors and everything, that kind of leads us into really talking about aesthetics yes. and the importance of what we wear, you know, what we put on our bodies, how we adorn ourselves. That is very, very important. That is very spiritual. Yes. It, it says something about us, what, 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 we, what we decide to put on. Um, and so um, there's some intention with even the things that Trinise has on today and even that I have on with the brass. Did you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, yeah, so brass is really related to Oshun, right? It brings fertility. Okay, oh, you tell us who Oshun is. Oh, I'm so, you know, I forgot that we're on the podcast and we are not in conversation. <laughs> because y'all just feel like home, right? This was like a really beautiful space. So Oshun is the first woman Iwamole, right? The first woman Orisha. There were 17 primordial beings who came into the earth when Oludumari said, y'all go to earth, we got some things we ought to do. And out of those 17, one was a woman and her name was Oshun, right? So before we think about other Orisha, like maybe Oya, right? Or maybe Ajay, or maybe Yamoja, in the Isheshe tradition, Oshun was the first, right? So we see her as the first feminist, the first primordial being, the first woman who actually came to defend women. So brass is deeply connected to her and she is known as the Orisha of fertility. Right, so we wear brass. You will sometimes notice Oshun's children by a brassy day, right? And that's what I'm wearing right here. And those of you that are online or listening, it is a brass bangle, which you've probably also seen in a lot of Akan traditions because it holds similar power around defense and also protection. Um, you'll notice that Juju is also wearing around her neck the collar, the iconic collar that y'all are probably looking at as you're listening to us if you're listening. And it's also brass around the neck, which is also extremely important and black femininity, right? Like when you're thinking about the kingdom of Dahomey and the women of Dahomey, what is always around their neck? There's always brass, right? Because brass is protection, brass is fertility, brass is wisdom. Yeah. You'll notice a lot of other things that we might be wearing in my ear. I'm wearing some machete earrings that are made by Melody Asani, um, who's a woman of color, black fashion designer, a good friend of mine. And she came out with a line of inspirational jewelry so I always like to adorn myself with fashion designers who have the consciousness of what they are designing and what they're creating. Um, I think that we need to think more about what we're putting on, to your point, right? So when you're putting on denim, are you thinking of Oshun? You should be, right? Because it comes from indigo. When you're wearing Shame. these beautiful mud cloths and tribal patterns, are you thinking about Oya? Because that's where batik comes from, right? When we're thinking about leather and the power of the civil rights movement, you should be thinking about our folks on the continent because cowhide made it possible. So everything that you're wearing and doing is always connected to our people. Mm -hmm. And it's important for us to always interrogate and think about that, not just the darkness or the lightness, but literally the material. Because fashion companies are building their entire empires off the backs mm -hmm. of black people, yeah. in particular enslaved Africans. When we think of the US, cotton. Everything right. you wear it's has cotton. come through the hands. Mm -hmm of someone that has died right. and been murdered. Right. So I'd like to think of what I'm putting on each day as an armor and also in defense, mm -hmm. right, of who my people are 
and what they would have wanted for me. Did you want to, I think you had a piece from Melody and Sons, did you? Yes, I do. And I actually have a gift to present to you. Oh, thank you. Yes, I do. So I created a project in honor of the Defend Black Women March, which I'll talk about shortly. And in 2021, Juju and I worked on a project called the I Support Black Women Campaign, which is a campaign built with Virgil Abloh, um, who I dearly, dearly miss, who was a close mentor and friend. And a huge part of Virgil Abloh's spirit and commitment on this earth was to ensure that Black folks had access to things that we deserved. And Juju was a huge part of that project and was a part of the portrait series and was a part of the documentary that we're going to premiere. And a part of Virgil being the brilliant genius that he is, he also was a connector. And through the relationship I had with Virgil Abloh, I met Melody Asani. Mm -hmm. And Jamie Swift of Black Women Radicals, which is a super dope black feminist political Ooh. online education organization, always will plug them. Uh, we decided to come together and host this march in honor of black women, gender expansive people and femmes from Latin America and the Caribbean. And a huge part of the project was developing a product and a piece of material that could represent the lives of black women and gender expansive people um, who we honor and revere. And it's called Black Women in Defiance. And to me, and I know to all of you, Juju Bates of Black Women in Defiance, right? What does it mean to have a podcast talking about all things, even the fact that it's all things Black and rooted in our liberation, to me, is truly a God dream and what happens when we're in alignment right, with who we should be. So I have a gift for you tonight that I want you to put on. And another Ooh. special gift um, that Virgil Abloh designed for me before he passed away. Ooh. And it was an honor to defend Black Women March, and you are the second person to receive it tonight. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you. Should I open it? I mean, we here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We here. Yeah. Yeah. It's cancer season. Right, come on. It's the, it's the Beyonce lemonade pack. You gotta know your friends, y'all. You gotta know your come friends. Come on. Okay, right. Unboxing by Chichi. Unboxing. Live <laughs> unboxing. Oh, this is beautiful. It's a Bracelet? Yes. So beautiful. Hold on. And this is the bracelet that features 10 black women and gender expensive people from across the world who have made an impact and are really who is guiding our work right now for this march. Wow. So one I want to highlight, two I want to highlight in this moment is Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune, mm -hmm. um, who is my founder and dear sorority sister. I graduated from Bethune Cookman College. And it wouldn't have been possible for me to be on this stage without her parents bringing her into the world and her having the tenacity, mm, right? And the vision to dream, similar to what you're doing, right? On stage, similar to what all of us are doing, having the courage and having the bravery to develop and to create something that is impossible. Yeah. Uh, another woman is Ann Lowe, who was one of the first black women fashion designers. And she is known for developing the iconic uh, Jackie Kennedy dress. Mm -hmm. She also yeah. received no credit for that. Yeah. So enough people don't know Anne Lowe, right? If we know April Walkers of the world, right? We know the Kamora Lee Simmons of the world, then you must know Anne Lowe, right? Because it's because of her, right? That we even have black fashion brands yes. in the first place. 
Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for knowing the second. And then, can you explain? Oh, we also have. And that's the card who explains each of who the each person. Okay. Wow. Friends. Oh, wow. Shout out for that. Can y'all see? Come on, white. Come on, Virgil. All you need is a little juju. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. So speaking of the Defend Black Women March, um, I remember last year, was it like, no, not two years ago. Two years ago, the COVID time. Two years ago, you did that, you and Jamie put together, what's this supposed to say? Was Jamie part of it? It was Paris. It was Paris Hatchet. Yes, yes, it was Paris. You all put the march together. And you asked me to come out, and we wore our all whites. Oh, there's a there's a photo. We had our machetes out. We prayed. Now there's a funny story about how we even got. Oh, that's how you. That's, that's how, how I even remember Joe Abloh. Right, yeah. right, right, right. We were literally so, just praying, y'all. Yeah. Uh, Juju and I hit our altar really quick before we left the house to go out per usual. Yeah. Because y'all remember 2020. It was a lot. It was. It was heavy. Ridiculous. Yeah. Especially where we live here in the DMV. Yeah. And I was like, Juju, I want to wear my machete. And she was like, Yeah, duh. And I'm like, Where I'm going to put it? And I'm like, Oh, my off white belt. Yeah. It's an industrial utility kind of item. And ended up talking on CNN about patriarchal violence yeah. because a reporter was trying to trip us up mm -hmm. about the connections between uh, defunding the police and black feminisms. And I'm like, To be a black feminist is to be an abolitionist. I'm unsure about the conversation we're having in this moment. And it, it just kind of got... It blew up. It blew up in a way that none of us really expected because we had an action the next morning. Yeah, We literally yeah. had an action at Councilman Vincent Gray's house yeah. to go make noise and wake him up in Washington, D.C. Yeah. And by the time we were done with that, our phones were blowing up and Virgil Abloh was like sending me a DM and I thought it was a joke. Mm -hmm. And it was all because of us hitting that altar. Yeah. Before we walked, okay, yeah. before we walked out of that door. And yeah. it really wasn't about the belt, y'all. It was really about the machete and mm -hmm. the power of the machete and what that means to us as black women, yeah. right? But to us really as black people. And here we are two years later, campaigns, yeah. podcasts. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. And so this year, the um, the March is July 29th through the 31st. The 30th. So plugging that for you all who will be around yes. to show up. How can people kind of tap in and get plugged in with the March? So you can visit our website, defendblackwomen.net. The March is an entire weekend kicking off on July 29th through the 31st. Friday, we're actually kicking off with a film screening called Cementes, which in Brazil, I'm sorry, in Portuguese means seats. And the life is going to be talking about what does it mean for Maria de Franco to be assassinated and for us to see this insurgence of black women political figures, specifically gender expansive and trans women political figures who are running the global south. So that's what the film is about. We're flying in Anneli Franco, which is Maria de Franco's sister, who we're going to be in conversation with. Uh, the next day is the March in the Rally. Well, we'll be marching from Meridian Hill. We call it Malcolm X in D.C. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we're marching from Malcolm X Park um, to what we now know as Freedom Plaza, BLM Plaza, in honor and really thinking about what does it mean for us to really be in defense of Black women, gender expansive people, and also femmes. And I really want to preface this with way before Roe vs. Wade, we knew this was coming. We've seen this. A lot of us have been organizing 
around reproductive rights and reproductive justice long before they came to this decision, right? Because that's what organizing is, yeah. taking action and moving towards it. But it's in particular super timely because if we do not have abortion in the United States, are we thinking about what that means for folks across borders? Yeah. When the United States is who provides abortion care, right, for folks in the global south. So what we're seeing is record, record numbers of not just folks who don't have access to abortions because abortions are gonna continue, y'all. We've right. been getting abortions, we gonna continue to get abortions, they're just not gonna be safe. So being in defense of black womanhood is really not about genitalia or body parts. It's about how do we center oppressed people and oppressed bodies by thinking about migrants who don't live in the U.S. So and that's, that, what, that's what the march is up to. Yeah, I, I really love that about the, the march is that we're not just centering the, the U.S. Yes. And I think that that's something that we all need to reckon with if you are someone who was born in the United States of America, yes. the certain privileges that we have um, amongst other people and how we can better be in solidarity with folks who look like us, who do not speak English, who are struggling to get into a country that they're supposed to, that they should be allowed to be in. And so I appreciate this solidarity and that's really that that's the work that's the work it's not just us in this in the struggle it, it is a global struggle and so we always need to think about how we can better uh, be in relationship to people throughout the world and black people melanated people whoever all throughout the world I shake and we don't see enough of it yeah right like so when we're saying black lives matter which lives are we talking about right are we talking about the ones who are geographically located in the United States in cities or are we also talking about black folks across the diaspora? Right. So that's what the march is up to. If folks are interested in getting political education, we're hosting a salon series mm -hmm. that is hosting about four different conversations. The first one is called Chinga La Mingra, which basically means fuck 12, fuck the police, fuck lawyers <laughs> in Spanish. And it's a conversation about black women and gender expansive people being funneled into detention centers in the cash bail system. And what are we calling for? And what does the support need to be to ensure that black women, black mamas, black gender expansive people, black trans folks, black migrants can stay out of these cages? Uh, the second conversation is about BDSM and King, right? Because black women deserve amazing sex. And pleasure. And pleasure. But consensual. And that's what grabbed us all. Because everybody's like, pleasure, yes. Let's do it. And what about consent? Right. Right. So what is it to mean for us to practice like radical consent with enthusiasm mm -hmm. all around from all parties involved? Yeah. And can we talk about kink? And can we talk about BDSM and stop making it seem as if this is not a black thing? Yeah. Because we've always engaged in kink and BDSM. So how do we have the historical conversations that can ground us in freedom and not oppression? Yeah. And the third conversation is radical reproductive justice now. I mean, because we're, we got to continue to figure out how are we going to administer abortions? Right. How are we going to be thinking about who should have access to a child and who should not? Because this is little to do with only abortions. This is a wake up call for what does it mean for someone else to be in control autonomy of your autonomy completely yeah. and to be robbed of our self-determination. Right. And the featured session is Ashe to Ashe. Ashe, of course, in Yoruba, and the other Ashe in Portuguese spelled A-X-C, but thinking about the connections between the transatlantic slave trade and the diaspora, and what is the call for solidarity? Yeah. You know, there's never been a resistance movement without African traditional religions. It just hasn't existed from Haiti, right, to Cuba, 
to Liberia, to, to Carolina, to North Carolina, right to Florida, to right? Virginia. It, it hasn't existed. So how are we calling on our traditions with discipline and rigor to fight our political battles? Yes, thank you. So please tell us again how we can tap in. Well, do we just show up? Do yeah. we gotta sign so, up? So you go to defendblackwomen.net. Okay. There's an RSVP form. There's three different options for you to come to three different events. You can follow at Black Women Radicals on Instagram for all information. We're asking folks to RSVP just so we can be prepared marshal-wise because we are not inviting the police to this event. And the more we know that you are in attendance, the more we can prepare to have our people be on guard. Um, You also want to RSVP for the salon series um, because we're only allowing 75 people to attend because of space and because of COVID. Our people are dying. And we love y'all. Everybody could come to the march, but everyone can't come to the closed-in sessions because we want to keep people safe. So defendblackwomen.net defendblackwomen.net and follow at Black Women Radicals. Okay, thank, thank you so you. much. Y'all, 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 y'all tapping in? Y'all gonna remember? Okay, July 29th? Okay, I see all your folks. Okay, wonderful. Okay, so we are getting too close almost, but we want to open it up for any questions. Hi, y'all. Hey. Hi, I'm Quest. Hi, Quest. First off, I want to say hi, Miss McNally. Hi. hi! I don't know. I don't know. with the mask. Hey, I'm Zed, Zara's friend. Yes, hi! Yeah, hey, hey, I also wanted to say hi, Juju. I'm Kobe's friend. Oh, okay. hey! Hey, Kobe. So this is like a weird full circle moment for me in this moment. But um, I just wanted to ask, like, from your perspective for, like, the collective in the room, what is something you think we could all be doing in with everything that's going on with all of our rights at the moment. Um, like I know I have my own personal views and what I'm working on, but what's something you think we could be doing as a community slash collective to if not protect to fight again? Yeah. I would say, you know, it's not necessarily a ritual or a spell. It's get to know people. It's talk to people that you are around. It's get to know your community. It is speaking to the people that you interact with on a day-to-day basis, whether that's your neighbor, whether that's somebody that you drop your clothes off at the, the laundromat. Like, do you speak? Because everybody has some medicine. Everybody has medicine. Um, you can get medicine from any person. And so it's really important that we kind of create uh, collectives, that we are in communities, that we come together because we cannot do this alone. So regardless of what y'all decide to do together, you need some people to do it with. And so I would say it, it's really about finding your community, talking to people, um, getting to know the people that you're already around and seeing what medicine that they bring. And asking yourself, what medicine do I bring to this space? Yeah, that's a good question. Thank you. Thank you. You know, with everything that's going on with abortion rights, and also, like, I'm not sure if all of y'all saw, but you know, Macy Gray had a lot to say about what defines a woman and, you know, speaking on, like, what is trans and et cetera. Um, and from my, you know, little knowledge about, because I'm still learning about Yoruba and the Orishas and everything. But when I was reading about it, I found out that a lot of, a few of the Orishas are gender fluid. 
And with everything that goes on within the black community and homophobia and transphobia within our families, our friendships, etc., um, do you have any insight on just the historical context of gender ex ex expansiveness and transness within like black culture, African culture, or just like the gender fluid, the, the culture around gender fluidity that we carried over from Africa to America? Because I think it's important for our, our people to know that we always have been trans and gender um, queer and, and gay, and, you know, especially within our community, black community, you know, because they often say like transness is a white thing, or queerness is a white thing, the gay agenda, etc. But it, we always have been about that life, so. Can y'all share some insight on that? Yeah. Of course, that's such a good question. Thank and, you, Abdu. And super timely. And I think you're saying that you're learning, but you're learning in real time because you're correct, right? So depending on your understanding of coming into the tradition, or in some Arisha have, and it's so weird because I'm trying to look at you and make eye contact. But some Arisha can. Where are you? Oh my gosh, hello. Hello. I'm like speaking into the distance. And I really commend you for asking the question because this is a question that more black people in particular should be asking. What is the historical knowledge and context that I need to know so I can know what I'm talking about, right? So I can stop sharing information that isn't true. So in our tradition, Arisha have taken on different genders or maybe no genders at all, right? When we're talking about Olubumari, when we're talking about this concept of God, God has no gender, God is God, right? The supreme, the supreme being, the supreme deity, the one who's the creator. And I think it's important when we're having conversations with people to think about how we could be weaponizing religion in some forms of fashion. So if you want to have like more conversations about the European tradition in particular, I have several books and Sam has, a, I'm sorry, Juju has a long reading list that she also has teach, taught some courses around as well. But just like you said, to be black is to be queer, my love. And black people have always existed in the same ways that poor people have existed. We could look at the kingdom of Dahomey which is a reference point oftentimes that we use in the tradition and also in the continent, because it was a very core kingdom, right? Where you have the king queens, folks who are a masculine identity, who have several wives, several husbands, where wives are also taking on other wives, right? In absence of death or in absence of a decision making. So gender has always been this very fluid kind of ideology and concept. And it wasn't until white supremacy and colonization came into play that we kind of got these really concrete gender roles as it relates to black people, right, and how we see ourselves. And, you know, we can thank white supremacy, patriarchy, and the list goes on for that. But in terms of the continent, most of the countries and the tribes are actually matrilineal, which means that they were ran by women and or gender expansive people. So history has told us that when you think about southwestern Nigeria, when you think about places like Benin, Togo, and even some of South Africa, you can start to look and research some of the tribes and I think it would be a good way to start by just looking at, was this a matrilineal society or not? And that will really tell you, right, how gender and sexuality could be viewed in particular. But you're absolutely right. Any found particular, Arisha may be seen with a, a prominent, right, or a dominant identity around gender, or maybe not one at all. It depends on how it shows up in the Odu. But in Ifa, we do not cast people out because of their gender or because of their sexuality. Because as a priest, right, like we are messengers from Olubumare. We do not make decisions about people's life. It is only you, right, and Olubumare who knows the decision that you've made before you came into the world. So when people want to have those conversations, I think you should refer them that way and really move away from this 
very harmful, right? Like hateful, violent way of thinking that people have not existed because we've been at the vanguard. Yes, I don't have much to add to that. You have said it. I would recommend, um, if you want to see some real examples of this, looking up particular Odisha. And also, this reminds me of the book, The Spirit of Intimacy, that I did a book study on with my sis here, Lavon. And it's a great, great, great book by Simone Fusome, who is from Burkina Faso, West Africa. And in the last, I think it's the last chapter of the book, she talks about um, how uh, LGBTQ folks showed up in her particular tribe, the, the Dagara tribe, in the Dagara village. And they had a specific role within society and were able to access certain spirits, access certain rituals, see certain things that nobody else could see. We had to go to the queer folks in the village to say, okay, I need help with it. I need to do this. And so I think the, the, the sad part about where we are now is that in a lot of ways, we've, we've lost the language We've lost um, the names for the people who were gender expansive or who we may consider trans today, but um, that language was, wasn't relevant then. But what we, who we would understand as trans or queer, we've lost a lot of that language, but that is, didn't mean that we, they were there or we were not there. It just means that we, we've lost it because cis folks have taken up a lot of space. <laughs> and so we actually aren't able to access a lot of things that they could access. And so I just wanted to add that too because there's a whole chapter in the book about it. You know, we all have a journey. We all have a mission, we all have a purpose. Um, and part of being of the diaspora is that we all have a collective purpose. So when it comes to, I guess, exercising your own, what are some tips? What are insight when it comes to, I guess, because you can't wake anybody up that doesn't want to be up. <laughs> but um, we both, I guess I'll say this, but in your own ways, you have woken people up. You have you've said key words, you have put, uh, I don't know, you have uh, exercised history. What has helped wake people up um, collectively, if that makes sense? Hmm. My intention, even after starting the podcast, wasn't like, I'm going to start this podcast and wake people up. You know, I did it for myself because I had questions, because I was curious, I was learning about all of these different spiritualities and religions, and I was having these um, experiences of my own that I'm like, I know other people are having similar experiences or thinking similar things. And so I think the more that I live fully in my truth is enough to wake anybody up. It's not about, it's about me. It's about my journey. It's about what I'm learning. And so I only strive to be a reflection to other people of what they are able to do in their own way. And so I just encourage you and I encourage all of us in here to, 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 to be, to really listen to your own or listen to your own spirit and do that loudly and do it proudly and be, and know that your ancestors and your spirits and God is supporting you and loving you in it. And that is enough, and that is enough to wake up the masses. That is enough to wake anybody because the people who are out here doing all the wild shit is because they're not, they're not true to who they are. They're living a lie. Don't live a lie. That's, don't live a lie. Okay, I think. Was that all of our questions? Okay. Well, thank you all so much for coming out. You all may have seen strategically placed QR codes um, that have <laughs> donation links. 
Um, if you want to support the show, uh, to continue a little juju podcast, I always say podcasting is free to y'all. It is not free to me. <laughs> so if you all enjoyed yourselves today, um, and to the folks streaming, thank you. And if you enjoy the podcast, if you want to support and donate, I definitely encourage that. And um, thank you again to the Parkway. And um, anything else you want to say to us? No. Happy birthday to you. Oh, happy birthday to me. Our producers are Kenya Denise and Alexandra De Palma. A Little Juju is produced by Domino Sound. All you need is a little juju. All you need is all you need. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju, a little juju.